0: So let's go to Isaiah chapter 50, please. Isaiah chapter 50, as we're going to do the third part of the scandal of Advent. The scandal of Advent is simply that God becomes a servant to us. He doesn't ask us to come up. He comes down. And that's what we've been looking at. So Isaiah has four songs that look forward to the servant who's going to come. And we find out in the New Testament that the servant is Jesus And so we've been looking at how he has served us and then how we can become models of that servanthood to others. So Isaiah 50 is the text tonight. A traveler walked into a dark forest just as the mountains were about to swallow the sun. That worried him, the idea that it was getting darker But the traveler needed to reach town that night. So as the light faded, his hope began to fade. And soon darkness erased the path in front of him. And his unfamiliarity with the terrain hindered his progress. And he decided... That he needed to stop. So he lit a small fire and waited. And that's when the wolves began to howl. And then a twig snapped nearby. And then another. And another. Something approached. And it wasn't long until that something emerged from the darkness and stepped into the small circle of the fire's light. And it was a man. Just a human. The traveler was so relieved. Please, he pleaded, sir, Can you show me how to get to town? I do not want to stay here tonight. The stranger did not answer him, but stepped closer to the fire and there stamped it out to the traveler's agitation. I just used my last match to make that. And now the darkness closed in and suffocated. But before the traveler could get up in his agitation, the stranger comes around and puts a gentle hand on his shoulder and sits down next to him. Gradually, Something begins to happen. Just silence and darkness between them and around them. But gradually, a calm deeper than the darkness descends on the traveler. And rather than he- fearing the night, he begins to hear the night. An owl hoots overhead. Crickets play their midnight sonata all around. The trees whisper their secrets carefully as the breeze moves through them. He also began to see the night. The tops of the jagged trees, knifing into an inky black sky littered with diamonds. The shaggy hair, the age-worn face, and the tattered clothes of the stranger next to him. And and the path. He could he could now make out the path. Enough so that he could continue traveling on it. That's when the stranger finally spoke. He leaned over and he said, If you want to see in the dark, you have to sit with the dark. The Apostle Paul knew a bit about darkness as he would go from city to city with the fear of persecution, sometimes violent rejection, not knowing always what lay ahead of each city, where provisions would always come. Would there be work? Who would be there? Would anybody receive the message? Is this ship going to go down like the last one? Are we going to be robbed on this road? Lots of things he went through. He knew darkness. And he experienced intense darkness in a mega city of Rome called Ephesus. And he relates his experiences in that city to a church in Corinth. And it's in the second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 1. Very, very, very helpful verse. In 2 Corinthians 1 verses 3 through 4. Paul relates this experience, this dark experience in Ephesus, like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who, this God, comforts us in our hardship so that we can comfort others in their hardship with the very same comfort we receive from him. Or put a slightly different way, but the same, God comforts us in our darkest night so that we can sit with others In their darkest night, with the same presence, the same it's okay that we receive from God. Compassion has been defined as being so in tune with your own darkness that you can sit with others in the dark. Compassion is being so aware of your own darkness that you can sit with others in the dark. Now, we know people that take a different tact, that want to say, you're going through a dark night of the soul? Here's some light, and they flip on the switch. If you've ever been in that place, you do not want the light like that. But we often feel compelled to serve in that way. No, I got I got I got Here's a flash. Oh, it's in your eyes. Sorry, the flashlight, though. It can help you. No. Sometimes we have to learn to see in the dark, which means we have to sit in it. If we want to see in the dark, we have to learn to sit with the dark. This is what makes a servant strong. We have servants, we have Christians who have gone through experiences and they've gone through their darkness and they've gone through their hardships and they often cry for help, for God, just give me comfort. Teach me what this is going to do for my life. And some of us have been there and been through that and we've received that comfort from God. But then there are a very small group of Christians who have gone even further, and said, God, let this darkness transform me so that I can see in it and navigate through it so that I can become a guide for those who are in it as well. So the first say, Ah, I'm in this experience. God, save me, help me. The second say, I'm in this experience. Let me go through it to the end, seeking God so that I can then re enter it with another person that's when you become a servant and servants sometimes are viewed as people that are kind of pushable you can tramp on them wipe your feet on them hey do this for me come on you're a servant service is your quality clean the dishes for us no no the kind of servant we're going to look at tonight is a very strong soul This is not a servant that can be pushed around because this servant has been in the darkest night and knows how to go through it. And he's not afraid. He doesn't back down. He sets his face like flint and says, bring the darkness on. So Isaiah chapter 50, our third servant song. Again, Isaiah is a prophet about 500 years before Jesus. And he's writing to future Jews who will go through their darkest night. They're going to lose their country. They're going to lose their temple. They're going to wonder if God is even with them. They're going to have no visible, physical, manifest presence of God's promises with them. The promise he's given will seem to break. The king that he said would rule forever is going to be kicked off the throne. Israel will become foreigners in a pagan land. It's called the exile. And and Isaiah is prophesying to them. And this part of the book of Isaiah begins in chapter 40. And it begins with the words, comfort my people. And then he begins to sing four songs that see a future servant who's going to come and serve the world. And Isaiah knows the darkness they're going to go through. And he's going to say, this servant's going to go darker because he's going to be your helper. He's going to be your light. He's going to be your salvation. So in Isaiah 50, the song actually begins in verse 4. We pick up, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. The servant is going to have this tongue that is taught in a way to speak to the weary, those that are trodden, those that are at the end of their rope, and give them strength. The strong servant can give others strength. Now, how does he gain this experience? It's not an easy path as we're going to see. Morning by morning, middle of verse four, he awakens, he being God, awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So God is the one who's going to teach me. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. Well, why would you turn backward if God is calling? Well, here's why. In verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike, my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. I know how to give a word to the weary, a strong word for them, because I've been down this path. Seven, but despite all that, the Lord God helps me. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us in our hardship. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. In other words, I was unflinching as I faced this. I did not wink or wince or blink. I kept going forward. And I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. And so he's asking these rhetorical questions in this hardship, though it looks like I'm being defeated, though it looks like I'm disgraced, though it looks like I'm weak because I'm succumbing to the oppression and the opposition. I am declaring that God will vindicate me out of that. He will bring me out and show me right and just, and that those who did this to me are wrong and they will fall and I will be the strong one in the end. So in a very corny way, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> this isn't killing, well, it does kill Jesus, but not forever. He comes back stronger. And so all who go on the path, that follow God, and that path takes them to things that, what's not the religion that I bought? So verse 10. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? So this seems like it's now Isaiah talking. So the servant has been talking. Now Isaiah is going to comment. Hey, who among us fears the Lord and obeys the voice of this servant? The one who is such a servant, he walks into the hardship ahead of us. Who obeys the voice of this servant? How can you not listen to a servant who's gone through this? People that have gone through these things have something to say. You know people like this. There's just something about their words. They know what they're talking about because they're often not talking about themselves because they've gone through enough pain to realize that self doesn't matter. This self has been beat up to death. I now live for others. So who wouldn't listen to the voice of this servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. In other words, when you come to the dark path in the dark forest, know that you can trust and rely on this God because he, as you've read, has already been in a darker, deeper forest. You can trust in this servant. He has served us by going on ahead of us and visits with us in our dark times. So, 11, behold, now this is a warning. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches, walk by the light of your fire and by the torches that you have kindled. But this you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. I read that to mean if you want to deal with your darkness by lighting your own fire, go ahead, but take my word for it. That fire will burn you. It's not going to help you. That, that's what he's saying in a little more poetic, complex wording. So go ahead and light your own fire, but I'm choosing to follow the servant through the darkness, not light my own flashlight or something. wow, this is where we come to the heart, the depth of servanthood. And this isn't just picking up some trash and taking it out because you see a trash can is overflowing or picking up a can off the road because it doesn't belong there and putting it where it does belong. I mean, that is service. And don't get me wrong, that's great to do. But this is a far deeper form of servanthood. This is where the servant becomes a strong servant. Strong because of what they've endured and strong because they have strength to give to those who don't have strength. This is ultimate service, ultimate servanthood, that we can come alongside those who are weak, those who are in the dark night of the soul, and just sit. We don't have to fix the world. We don't have to ignite a bonfire. We just have to let our strength we've received from Christ be present among them. Which means you may have to cry with people, heart with people. You mean I can't just put a band-aid on that? That's not true servanthood. That's get out of my way. And feel, I can sleep now because I feel like I did something. in John 13 we see the servant John opens his gospel with in the beginning was the word and that the word came down to us the word became flesh and dwelt among us um this descent right the servant just like Philippians 5 says or Philippians 2 verse 5 and on says Jesus gave up his position to become a servant among men John just tells us that so much, well, equally poetically, just the word becomes flesh and came down and dwelt among us. He came down to live with us, the servant. The first half of the book of John opens like that. The second half of the book of John, which is his Passion Week, the Easter week, opens with him once again coming down. The rabbi comes down from his position as teacher at the table and comes down to the feet of the disciples. It's another reenactment of his coming to us. And there he begins to wash his disciples' feet. He is modeling servanthood on the eve of his going through what this servant goes through in Isaiah. And he begins to show them the way. But John is a very poetic fella. He does not give us details on accident. As Jesus finishes this washing of the feet, there's then a disturbance at the table. Not that your master washing your feet was disturbing enough, but that master then goes back to his seat and says, all right, now that I've poured myself out to you, one of you will betray me. One of you will be the cause for my dark night of the soul, will be the cause for my crucifixion, for my back being whipped and the beard being plucked from my face for my being spat at and disgraced and my reason to set my face like flint and to go forward and not turn back. One of you is going to be the reason for that. And there's obviously a chill that goes around the table. Who is it? Oh, my goodness. Is, am I capable of that? And Of course, Peter, you know, always just wants to, he speaks from the heart, not necessarily from what really can happen. And like, I will never, you know, and all that stuff happens. But we know who it is. Because Jesus says, I'm going to, he whispers to John, I'm going to give the bread to the one who's going to do it. And he dips it and gives it to Judas. And then he looks at Judas and says, what you need to do, go and do. And Judas went out. And then John has this little line. And don't miss it. It's not so that you can imagine how the stage looks in the setting. He says, and it was night Now, if you're just setting the scene, you would have said, so at nighttime, as the crickets chirp, Jesus took on a towel and served his disciples. That's not how this is spoken. At the moment when the betrayer is revealed and goes to do his dirty deed, then John says, and it was night. This is not just the moon is up and the stars are shining and the crickets are singing. This is going to be Jesus's darkest hour. And... It was night, and he washed their feet. So our servant is Jesus. He's gone ahead. We can trust him. We know that he knows the path, even when it's too dark for us to see. We know that he knows how to get us there. The challenge for us is to trust that. As Isaiah asked in verse 10, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Do you trust Jesus the servant who went through the and it was night? He's been there. He's gone through that. But do you trust him? Because if you do, when you reach the dark night of your life, of your soul... You will trust him. You will not do what Isaiah warns you against. You who kindle a fire. Kindling a fire is what you do when you don't trust God. It's, I know how to fix this. I know how to get through this. I know how to. And you bring your skill set, your Boy Scout abilities. You bring out your fire starting kit. Or you have your flashlight. Good thing they're Duracell. They won't go out. You know, you've got like your knowledge and your know-how. Like, we're going to do this. But Isaiah is warning and saying that's not the path of transformation. That's the path of escape. That's the path of I'll just get through this. Because those who kindle their own fire never Learn to see in the dark. The only way to see in the dark is to sit with the dark. An adjustment begins to happen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus went there. Will we serve alongside him? Then we too must sit. When the dark night comes, we must Sit patiently. Now, no one chooses this event. The the application tonight is not go out and make a miserable week. No one can create and no one can choose when the dark night happens. It's not something we choose. It's something that simply descends. And it's often in the most inconvenient time. I mean, let's be frank. It's always inconvenient. It descends. What will you do? I got to light the fire. What are you going to do then? What are you going to do when the fire goes out? Light causes darkness to actually be darker to your eyes. If we learn to sit in it, we will learn to walk through it. The transformation is not, yay, I have a flashlight. The transformation is, I'm beginning to see nocturnally. That's transformation. That is how you help people. So, what we're saying is if we trust Jesus and we trust that He's our servant who will serve us in that hour, then we will learn to sit in the dark. Now, very practically, for some of us, these are emotions. And we're really good at stifling emotions. And just, yeah, they're not happening. Be happy, be happy. And you do your happy eating. You do your happy binge watching. You do your happy people you hang out with. We surround ourselves with distractions and things that kind of lift us up momentarily. But all that is, is lighting a campfire or turning on a flashlight. It has a lifespan. And then the darkness returns. For some of us, it's more of a situation. Or it's a person. Or it's it's a physical hardship. But see, we are very good at trying not to sit with that darkness. We're very good at lighting our own fires. And Isaiah warns that's not the way of faith. So Jesus is our servant. He's done it. He's gone ahead. And he's waiting to serve us if we're willing to sit in the dark. So to sit in the dark means this. You do not light your own artificial fire or use your own artificial light. Artificial light Helps them momentarily, but it does not get you through life. What are we using? What is our artificial light? Are we turning to entertainment, to distraction? Are we using substances? Why do we turn to what we turn to when we turn to it? That, that's the question of artificial light. And for many of us, it's it's a literal artificial light. It's the tablet or the phone. It's the television screen. Some of us have a hard time sleeping at night because the physical darkness reminds us of the darkness within or the emotions we haven't dealt with or the people we haven't forgiven or asked for forgiveness from. And so, nighttime is hard to sleep because all these things come to us in the dark. They slam us. We can nap during the day, (laughs) but as soon as everything's dark and we lie down and it's quiet, so many Americans can't sleep because we don't know how to sit in the dark. We numb our eyeballs, if that's even a thing. You blind our eyeballs with artificial light, it's not working. We need a servant who will sit with us in the dark. So please, please, please avoid your artificial methods of lighting your life and sit in the dark because two things will happen if you do. First, you'll notice that the rest of your senses will become more alert. Ask Dr. Bravo. Ask anybody who has visual handicap. Your other senses come into greater focus. They hear what we don't hear and smell what we don't smell and taste what we don't taste. When you don't see and you're willing to sit in the dark, you begin to rely on other things. And for the Christian and the soul, we begin to rely on the spirit of God more than we normally do when we have all of our functioning faculties. Your senses will pick up. You'll get to see things and experience things in a very, albeit hard, but different way. There are, um, there are restaurants that you have to book months in advance to eat at because their concept is you eat in the dark. And apparently food tastes a lot better when you can't see it. <laughs> but it's real. That's not a cooking joke. That's, that's because you're not distracted by what it looks like and by the things happening around you. You are 100% focused on taste. Because there's nothing else you can do. When we don't see people talking to us, we often hear them more genuinely. We're distracted by appearance and we can lie with body language, but when we just focus on the voice and the intonation and what's being said, we hear more truly. We focus better with each other. Some counselors encourage people to talk to each like in marriage counseling they encourage people to talk to each other blindfolded we hear better and so even spiritually when we are in the dark night of the soul and we're willing to sit with christ and trust the servant who will serve us you will find other parts of your soul coming alive that you didn't know could function You're becoming stronger because his strength is coming to you. And then you can sit down with the next person and say, just stay here. We got this. So your other senses become more alert. But then you also see differently. You see very differently. Um, We'll begin to notice things about people that light has blinded us to because of judging appearances and so forth. Um, we'll begin to hear hurting. It, it's as if when you're face down on the ground and you're in that position, it's really hard to be down there. But you begin to see the world differently from down there. And in the night, too, we begin to see the world differently, too. But we often don't let ourselves, we don't let our eyes adjust to a different world. We want to flip the lights on and get out of there. But we can relate to suffering better when we've been there. You, when you learn to sit in the dark, will then hear sufferers differently. You will see sufferers differently. You will help sufferers differently. Because now you know exactly how that feels. And a Bible verse is not always the best solution. So, the good news is that the dark night of the soul always surrenders today. Jesus went through immense suffering and he kept going and he set in face like flint and he died. It did not end well for him, but then day dawned. And the gospels are so keen on this. All four say, early in the morning, before it was even light, at dawn, there are different ways of saying it, was when the resurrection happened. So Judas goes out, and Jesus is about to enter into severe suffering, and he John says, and it was night. But then he turns it over and says, but in the dawn of the morning, Jesus is alive in the garden. So brothers, sisters, it look, if we want to be servants, genuine people who help people genuinely, it will require a dark night and it will require willingness to sit with it until we can see and until we will know the way forward. But when we do, when we do, and the day finally dawns, you will be a new person. You will be that strong servant who can say, in verse 4, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with the word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. You see God differently, you hear God differently, you talk to people differently, you help people differently because you have been helped in a very real way and now you can help others in a very real way. So on one hand, while this is a very dark and I'm really... Bummed that you guys laughed at one park because it's like this is there's gonna be nothing funny about this, and then you guys laughed, but whatever. <laughs> there it goes. Um so even though this is like dark and like serious message, we're not gonna end there. Because we're looking forward that the dark night ends. It ends if we're just willing to sit long enough. Resurrection. Yes, it's a future event for all of us when we will get real new bodies and a real renewed world and Jesus is ruling. That's really going to happen. But we get resurrection on the way as well as the soul resurrects and as the eyes see differently and the ears hear differently and we relate to people differently and we are strengthened in a new way and we're a different person we can help people therefore. That too is the resurrection that we will receive. So yes, dark and hard, but day, and transformation. But it all comes down to do you trust the servants? We're going to very soon hold the broken, mutilated, torn, bruised, beaten body of Christ and the blood which he shed freely and abundantly. And we're going to hold that. And we're going to see the evidence of the servant who knows how to sit in the dark with sufferers. And we're going to have a choice. Either these elements are my survival guide, or I'm going to turn to artificial light. We're either going to trust the servant to serve us so that we can become servants, Or we're going to say, "Mm, I'm going to do this in my strength. So as we hold the communion here tonight, you have your choice. Are we going to trust the strong servant who will give us strength? Or are we going to be the strong moron and trust our own strength?